Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Jonathan Sharrick. Jonathan is the CEO of Cyber Citadel, a leading cybersecurity provider based in Sydney, Australia. Jonathan, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Good morning, uh, and thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Man, this is a treat not only for the listeners because they are going to get to hear directly from the man, the myth, the legend himself, but it's also a treat because as I was mentioning, excuse me, Jonathan, you are the first guest that we've had from down under, from the Australia, New Zealand area of the world. So uh, thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm actually, we're recording this from lockdown. So we're in lockdown number five. Um, I'm sitting in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, it's winter time, but the weather's great. We're still able to get around and do stuff. But um, yeah, we, we're sort of, we're sort of going through all these changes. We've adjusted to working from home and, and everyone seems to be walking around with a smile on their face. So that's uh, always a good sign. No, that's, that's, that's definitely a good thing. So Jonathan, winter in Auckland, New Zealand, what's the temperature there right now? Look, on a bad day, we get down to, so we're further north. So, you know, in the US, the further south you go, the warmer it gets. In New Zealand, okay. the further, further north, it gets warmer. So I'm in the I'm in the largest city, which has got about, it's got a few million population. The country's got a 5 million population. But, you know, we, we average about sort of 15 degrees. I don't know what that is in, in real real temperatures over there. But it's, 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 to me, it's cool. If you're in a really hot country and you had the air conditioning down low, you'd probably have it on about 18 or 17. So a couple of degrees lower. Some some people that come and visit us from Asia, they think it's amazing because they can't believe that you get that nice cool temperature outside. So some people love it. We don't have a really cold and painful um, winter here in, in Auckland. Uh, we don't have any snow. Uh, you further south you go, the more snow and the colder it gets. If you head down to the South Island, it's a bit like Switzerland. You get the Alps, amazing skiing, nice clear air, and it's, a, it's an amazing environment. And there's a lot of a lot of people like you know spending their um spending their spare time down there. We get a lot of we get a lot of American tourists, a lot of celebrities. They all come as far as New Zealand, and uh, they love it. Well, Jonathan, that's awesome. And according to my friends over at Google, uh, 15 degrees Celsius is 60 degrees for those of us listening here in the states. So uh, 60 degrees, man, that's that's not a bad temperature to be at, man. Well, look, I'm not going to overrate it because you know it was eight, eight degrees, but that's during the night. But but yeah, it's about that, and it's 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 nice, you know. And but it's you know we've got a lot of humidity as well, so it's a kind of a cold temperature, you know. In the summertime, if it's in the late 20s, it's actually really hot. So it's kind of a different type of feel. I don't know if you sometimes see on 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 Google, uh, it sometimes says feels like. Yes, it feels a little bit colder. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Jonathan, again, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. And um, yeah, just appreciate you and what we're about to get into. So, Jonathan, with that, why don't you share your background with our audience? Yeah, so I started out my uh, my career in uh, New Zealand. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to join a tech company, um, and they they had uh, it was all the early days of like Novell networking. Uh, we had local area networking. I know that's if you're in the, if you're a little bit older, you'll know that. Yeah, we used to network computers 
because printers are very expensive. So when you went and sold a, a computer network, you said, you can all share that printer and everyone goes, I'll have a network. And it was, uh, and that was the kind of motivation. But we, we, we became quite, quite popular. We, we ended up networking up all the universities uh, in New Zealand. And, and I got to, you know, get to deal with a lot of people in uh, Irvine, California, which gave me a, uh, gave me a kind of good start to my career. I was talking directly to developers. Uh, we were fixing problems. We had, some stuff was reasonably buggy. I'd sort of grown up, you know, I'd got into that job from having um, a really strong interest in computers as a kid. You know, I was I was more at the sort of the hardware level where I, I wanted to know what these chips were in there for and what were they, why do you need a, you know, keyboard controller? What's this? And, what it, and I was asking my uncle all the time, you know, what does this mean? And he had a good sort of technical background. So he's kind of explained it to me. So I was lucky to have that person to I could go to and ask, you know, a lot of questions. And I was quite young. I was in my early teens. And then, then it kind of, you know, we had VIC-20s and, and, and Commodore 64 computers, but I learned the hard way. I was learning, you know, I went and did some gardening to buy a assembler cartridge so that I can learn to write assembler. And I had 4K of uh, memory to play with. So you didn't have libraries or toolkits like we do today. Uh, it was just, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a chip. You, you, taught, you had a machine language and that was it. And you used to make things happen and you were really proud of the fact that you you didn't have anyone to call up, you didn't have a Google or you didn't have an internet person. You either had a friend that lived nearby that you could ask or you had to convince someone to explain it to you and they said, well, you should already know that. It's not, it's pretty straightforward. So you didn't have the kind of the wealth of knowledge that you have on the internet now and you just kind of just figure stuff out yourself. And then I basically, um, I decided that, you know, I was, I was, I was, in, I was about 18, 19 and I decided that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go to Europe. So I realized that the New Zealand market was, was a great place to start, but it wasn't the, you know, we didn't have a massive population. It was 3.2 million people in the whole country. And I kind of felt like I'd already networked a big chunk of it. So we, I, well, I moved with my, with my um, partner at the time and, and she, she joined me in the UK. And we, um, I ended up finding a company that did exactly what I was employed to do in New Zealand. It was a mirror image. I found it via the people that I was dealing with in the US. I said, hey, look, I'm moving to Europe. Who does what we do in Europe? And they said, these, this guy. So I called up the guy in the UK, a guy called Wayne Channon, and, and, I, and I said, uh, I want a job. And he goes, you know, come and see us. And then the next day I had a job and I was, I was working in the UK. I, and they had a, a thing called a faculty. So um, you could pretty much, they ran training for a lot of their customers and you could put yourself through all the training. So I just went in on every possible training course that they were running. And it was a really good start to, to, to my career in Europe. And, uh, and that's how it all kind of came together. And as you, because we were a distributor, you got to meet a lot of customers and you got to see all of their problems and, and you got to whiteboard, talk to them, figure stuff out. But in those days, there wasn't a lot of consideration taken to things like uh, security because everyone seemed to know each other or everyone mm. said, well, that doesn't matter. I mean, I've got a good guy on the front, front door. He won't let anybody in. And there wasn't any sort of connectivity. We did live in a connected world. All the problems that we were having was normally just buggy code. We used to fix it and, and, and or, get a, or get a new version of it. And that was it. Uh, there wasn't much of a sort of a, uh, an insider or an outsider threat. There wasn't anything like that. And you just kind of got on with it. And I remember even email. I mean, the first emails that were sent, there was just, I think the guy sent it to himself. And then... And then right. they knew everybody in the campus. And then security, what, what's that for? You know? And then you know, security gets expensive and it slows things down. And we didn't, didn't really think about it in the early days. So Jonathan, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, and, I, and I think, unfortunately, we still have that mindset today where we think we know everyone. And so whether we're a, a non 
nonprofit, um, you know, a, a organization in the public or private sector, we still give security short shrift. Right. Yeah. So it's it's amazing that at least from that standpoint, not much has changed. Yeah. You know, and I noticed that some, there was a there was an attack, a Casera attack uh, in the last sort of few weeks. It was sort of headline news uh, last few months as well. And, and what I noticed that some customers were contacting us and, and they were they were telling us about this problem, but they didn't even know what this thing was even in there for. And they had been told that they needed to install this thing in their network to give some third party access to update something. And then this third party gets breached. And it's like they're going, we didn't even know that we needed it. And, and, you know, I said, look, you know, this is really got to stop. You can't, you know, you can't just plug stuff into the network or, or let a, let a third party come in and just attach something and, and tell, and tell you that you need it. And then it's not maintained by, by, by your internal IT people or IT systems. And then that could lead to your, your next breach. Jonathan, that is so true. Not a single lie in anything that you just said. What's, what's interesting is there's a nonprofit that I'm working with currently, and they have access to some health information for the people that they serve. But there is a third party provider that is hosting or holding some of that information. And so we're working through getting them to help the rest of the organization understand that this is how most breaches, I mean, you know, we call it, you know, supply chain attacks, but that's how breaches are occurring these days. It's certainly still, you know, someone internally clicking on something that they shouldn't, but more often than not now, it's, you know, a company that's, you know, providing payroll services or, you know, some other external service and they have access to your network. They have access to, you know, personal, personally identifiable information and you have to make them um, toe the line when it comes to being cyber safe and cyber resilient. That's correct. Um, look, we've had some issues down this side of the world. I won't sort of single anybody out in particular, but they, um, we have seen things with healthcare that, that have been issues with this whole thing with dwell time they, they don't actually know how long someone's been in the environment and they start restoring stuff restore the problem i know that there are some companies that allow you to exclude the problem and when you restore it and that's some big big you know big vendors but but from my point of view is they don't know how long someone's been in the environment and getting the system back up and running again it becomes a bit of a challenge and then they suddenly look at the at the problem they go who are all these vendors they suddenly realize they've got a huge amount of vendors there's been relationships through CIOs, CTOs, and all these different C-level people have bought in or different management teams have bought in different people at different times. And there's no real sort of joined up strategy. And when they when they try and rebuild it and put it back together again, they go, it's just all over the place. And we noticed this with, with logistics and some other, like say supply chain attacks, is these computer systems have tentacles everywhere. You don't even know, if you start buying companies and you do mergers and acquisitions, you've got systems that are connected to systems that are connected to systems, and you don't know where half this stuff is. And you know, okay, we're a security company and we do a lot of um, penetration testing, but we do discover stuff and we go back to the developers and say, look, you've got these systems, you know, here are all the problems and, and here's how you fix it. But we go and discover and, and, and pull the stuff apart. And, and it takes a lot of work, but you're going through all the business logic, you're pulling all the stuff apart and actually finding out, you know, what's broken, why are these things talking to these things? You know, there are simple things like, for example, we had a, a client where they, they wanted to know if the, um, if the vehicle was registered. And if the vehicle's registered, you get a yes, no answer from the, the API, for example, right? Okay. So you put in the VIN number and it says, yes, it's registered or not. And if it's registered, then they can go through the process of 
using that service. It could be for a delivery or whatever. So we do some testing and we find out that the, um, the API gives you a yes, no answer, but it also gives us everything about the mileage, the guy who's dropping it, everything. And, and that has to be it has to be tested. So when you build something, a lot of the times there's there's the, the, the toolkit that you use or the thing that you're using to, to test it. They give you some credentials. They, they bake them in there so you can play around with it. But you're supposed to remove them. And not only that, you're not supposed to you're supposed to test. We've got we've got you know we do tests and we find hard coded credentials and a lot of stuff. Um, you know stuff that you can just download from the app store. You know you can run a scan on it and you find some credentials. And then it's just a case of if you don't do the testing, you're going to be in a situation where at some point someone else is going to test it for you. And then that when it that's when it leads to a breach. And then putting things in a reverse gear is expensive because you've pretty much got to rebuild everything. Uh, otherwise, you know, you don't know what you've got. You can't just go and just hit a restore button and say, take me back two weeks. There's a lot more to it than that. Again, Jonathan, you're uh, you're so spot on. And this this actually um, brings me to a question that, you know, I wanted to ask you around, you know, what has you most excited about the work that you do on a daily basis there at Cyber Citadel? So, I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I, look, I spent 28 years of my career uh, overseas. Um, I met some really good people. I traveled all around the Americas and, and Europe and Middle East and uh, Russia, all these other places. And I met some amazing people. First of all, I get to work with those people again. I've just had a conversation with one one of my friends in Switzerland this morning. And it's uh, it's a real a real pleasure just to sort of reconnect with people. And to and we, my wife and I go around Europe every year, and, and sometimes it's just we we're traveling around to see see the country. But I get to see some people that have you know, become friends as well, some good quality people. I love reading the news. I get up in the morning. Cybersecurity is great because there's always something happening overnight. When you wake up in the morning, you, you know, I've got the iOS 15 running on my phone. I've got the sleep mode, so it doesn't annoy me during the night. But I wake up in the morning and I. I just see a whole lot of messages from people all around the world, people sending me articles. I get to read the news. I get to see what's, what's changed, what happened overnight. And it's amazing because every day is a different day. And it's, um, it's not like I'm, I'm running month end and I'm going to do the month end next month. I'm getting a new experience every day. And I get to go to bed learning something. And, and, and I get excited about things changing all the time. I like a, I like a, I like a challenge. I like someone to tell me that, you know, how's this, how does this work out? And I said, let's figure it out. And, and that's, that's cybersecurity, right? Because there's so many different ways you can do things. Um, if you can break things up into a, such a way that you can help other people and you can make it easy to understand, I think that's, that's also good. But I think from, from my point of view is I get to work with some really good, good people. You know, I've, I've, we've got, uh, people on the on the on the on the team that are just outstanding, and their conversations, and we challenge each other. I'll say something, they go, "What do you mean by that?" And those, no one cares about that. And I go, "Well, I read this," and they go, "But that doesn't matter." And we have these really good internal debates, and there's a really good energy going on. So you know, when you when you get up in the morning, you can't wait to turn your computer on and and start talking to people and and, and engaging. It that's a good sign. No, I, I I couldn't agree more, Jonathan. Especially, I love the fact that you have this um, open dialogue with the folks there at Cyber Citadel. And of course, you know, as the CEO, in a lot of ways, people would typically be nervous about you know offering any sort of feedback or any sort of pushback. But it sounds like you very much encourage that. Well, I know everything, and I know that the market's moving really quickly. I'm not going to be in a situation where I'm going to be able to learn everything all at once. So um, so I, I rely on on um, being informed. And I think doing talking to the team and talking to other people. Look, some of, some of the guys get really carried away about stuff because they're really passionate about that. And that's that's good. But I like to see that. And 
but also, but, but also, you know, I'll read something and that's my interpretation of it. And I'll say, look, you know, what have you seen? They go, that leads to something a long time ago that is still an underlying problem. And then you'll start talking about that. Now, unless you've got a team, you won't really get that experience. And that's why people always encourage, you know, cybersecurity is about building a community because you do need to share stuff. You're not going to, you'll have an opinion or you'll have something that you know, or it might just be an, an experience that you've had. And then you can add some value to somebody else's conversation if you can kind of just understand understand all the kind of all the elements and, and just have enough of it and I know that you know especially one of my guys you know he came from a background that's he only ever produced secure code and I came from an environment where it sort of evolved to that and, and it wasn't available in the early days so I can see why he thinks like that and and, I, and he can sort of see why I know that's why we're there but this this has happened along the way and we can kind of see both sides of it and it is fairly balanced no, that's the that's the type of place where you want to be, right? That's uh, that's the type of company. That's the type of leader. You know, I mean, you're you're just you're checking all of the boxes, Jonathan. And so I, I appreciate that. All right, let me ask you this: Your clients there at Cyber Citadel, what would you say is the biggest security issue they're facing? I mean, the actual things like. Business email compromise is always showing up in the headlines. Um, my, 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 um, I'm finding a lot of the time that a lot of them put off testing. As soon as they start talking to, to vendors about doing security testing, like you don't know what you're trying to protect until you know what you own. Uh, just getting out there and finding out, you know, what, what is the stuff on your network? What's actually there? And a lot of the time is they just don't have any visibility. They, they, they lack internal knowledge. Um, and they don't, you know, it's from a vendor approach, there's always, I mean, we even see this with some reports that, you know, we might be going into an organization that's already had some testing. And the testing uh, is geared around selling them a solution. You know, they need a web application firewall. Well, one of my guys bypasses those all the time. But it is a good layer of security, right? So so I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. But but on its own, it may not be enough. And, and there are things like um, you need to look at... Um, making it easy for somebody to to make a decision so so we've gone through and i think one of the biggest challenges we have is is a lot of my clients especially at, at the board level they haven't had the right conversations so they don't know really what questions are that they need to ask every time someone from it comes in and has a conversation about something that it's they need to spend a lot of money but no one's able to validate that i mean i had a good go at writing a um and it's been downloaded a lot of times a, a white paper on changing the conversation in the boardroom and it's trying to show the communication between the IT teams and, and the board, you know, what really needs to go on there. And, and I think a lot of the time is people, because it goes in the too hard basket, they don't do anything. Uh, and then they put it off until the next budget round. And, and I, I try and encourage people, like, let us get in there, just do a, um, a security posture review or just something to just give you a starting point so that you can see, you know, how things are. Because a lot of the time when we hand over reports, they always go, oh, man, I didn't believe it. And I'm always on the phone with the CTO or the CIO straight away or the CISO going like, well, what's all this about? Because the, they've been led to believe by their security teams that, and the IT teams that we've got this. But they might have. But, and that's the interpretation of it. But they might have built something that they built it the way that they thought it needed to be built. But it's got a few issues. And, and that's actually the, 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 the thing that gets picked up and can be fixed easily in, in the security testing. So I think knowing where to start, um, you know, and, 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 and having someone that's coming in that's not trying to sell them a whole bunch of pro, uh, products, but actually just saying, look, this is where you, this is the, this is the, um, the as-is environment. This is what you've got today. This is where you need to get to. 
the, the 2B scenario and, and having some way of measuring that. So you can say, look, you know, we, we've spent all this money on, 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 on cyber security and, and all the security inside the organization. You know, how are we doing? You know, the board wants to know, you know, are we achieving anything? And how do we measure that? Okay, so Jonathan, you've you've already alluded to this this follow up question, but I want you to you know brag on Cyber Citadel a little more. So as you're coming in, you're seeing these issues with your clients. How are you coming alongside these clients to help address you know the the testing issues, the business email compromise, and different things? You know, again, brag brag on yourself and your team. You know, how are you guys showing up and adding value? Because some of it might be so. So as we as we go in and and we look at the organization, we'll put a security plan in place. A lot of it might be that they need an architecture review. So give us everything you've got. Uh, let us look at the architecture, and we'll just highlight you know the weaknesses and and what we potentially see as a problem. And then we will come up with a design that we believe. Is, is is the is the way forward, and we'll you know, talk to the technical teams and get you know get involved, roll our sleeves up, and actually sit there and and take you through why we think it needs to be like this. It could be a layered approach. A lot of companies don't have internal firewalls. People have access to stuff, so you know the administrators logging in on on a, on a, on a, on, a, on a different part of the network and. Uh, domain admins looking on a different part of the network. You know, when we're doing testing, you know, for example, in, in a typical network environment, you know, a good example would be, um, you know, just recently we've, we've got a golden ticket, right? The guys got in there and they issued a, uh, they managed to issue themselves a golden ticket. Now that's a that's a 10 year ticket and it's not logged. You can't see it. And that gives you full access to the, to the, the, the uh, domain. So so you don't know we're, we're even there. And, and we've managed to We've managed to put that in a report, but we didn't, you know, it's like an attack narrative. We didn't just give you the report and then walked away. We explained to you the impact of the business, but we also just explained how you fix it. So the report says, this is what we got, this is how we got it, and this is how you fix it. And if it's a tricky problem, we provide a screencast. And what that means is you can just watch us clicking the mouse, moving around the screen and typing stuff as if you're watching a a YouTube video or like a how-to video, and we'll recreate the steps for you. And then we'll put that into it. A video library for you so when you bring on your next employee you can run through this is where we were this is how we fixed it go through all these videos and there's a whole sort of learning part of it so we're not customers not back in that situation again and a lot of the time it's it's um sometimes we'll bypass something and they can't work out how we did it so it could be that the uh the developers and and, and cyber citadel end up very much like we are now on, on a on a on a on a video call and we discuss the problem and and people like to defend it they say we can't implement that because of this um, like we work with a university and they, they have issues at certain times of the year where they the they, they we, we've got issues with the fact that there's multiple logins and there's there's um their sessions are not timing out quick enough for us and all this sort of stuff and they've got a reason why that happens you know and that's their thing and and and, and they can design around that and and do other things to, to make it to make it better but we we have a, a two-way conversation and we're trying to get them to the stage where um, you know some of our customers we, we're quite a few years in and we just see a massive improvement and that's part of it right so you can say look the whole team started off um, being real negative, like, oh, here we go, this guy's going to show us up. And, and, and it's quite common. And now they're all, right. can't wait for the next test. Go on, see, see how well you do. And it's a, it's a good bit of banter because it actually shows you that they, they're not, there's no egos anymore. They know that we're easy to work with and we're trying to improve security for their, their organization. And we're trying to get them to write more secure code and, and to, 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 you know, we don't want those flaws in the code and we want things to be better for that organization. And so it's a starting point. You get some testing done. You get the problem, you know, illustrated in the in the in the in the report, 
and you can fix it. So that's 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 a big part of it. So yeah, so that's that's it. A lot of people think cybersecurity can be can be expensive and and, and you know and it always increases costs when we talk to the cybersecurity team. So they always kind of like a bit sort of apprehensive. And um and and, and a lot a lot of the time the board still treats you know cybersecurity as a as a compliance issue. It's really a business issue. So that's a big part of it. I think you know from our point of view is if we go into a client, we're trying to look at everything. We're trying to look at um, you know. Everything that can potentially go wrong, we put a security plan in place, we, we do a risk assessment for them, a threat risk assessment, um, and there's a whole lot of stuff. But we want them to kind of turn around to us as a trusted advisor and say, look, we want to, we want to make this right. We want to get this to the stage where we're really good at what we do. And we all know that you, you can't be 100% secure, but you can have a really good go at it. And, and it's being able to, you know, we issue advisories to our clients. So if we see something that pops up in the news and we know that that affects them because we've tagged that information, in the in our database that they are a client that will be affected by that we're on the phone to them or we're just sending out an advisory so we're sort of kind of it's a little bit like we've got your back but but we want things to improve at the client so that's that's part of it oh that's that's great jonathan i want to highlight one of the last things that you said um and that is being a trusted advisor right so you mentioned showing up to a client and you know the the folks you know on the development team or on the security team are kind of rolling their eyes initially when they see, you know, Jonathan and the Cyber Citadel guys roll in. But, you know, because like you said, you're easy to work with and because you're adding value by the time the relationship, you know, is, you know, into its first, second, third year, they're actually excited to see you because they want to be able to report back to you the progress that you, yep. you know, that they've made or that, you know, they've seen from the work that you've done. I just, I think that's phenomenal. So, so, so we've also, we do red teaming as well. And that's, that's, that's quite exciting. And, 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 you know, our first red teaming exercises that we were doing, the client was, uh, was all about sort of covering their ass a bit, basically. They didn't want to be in a situation where, you know, this is my job. I should have had this. And we say, look, you know, we're going to get through anyway. We absolutely know that. And we want to, we want to, you know, if you've got a, a managed service provider that's providing your, you know, your, your monitoring, all the other stuff, uh, we want to give you some rules that you can take back to your managed service provider and say, look, Cyber Citadel got in. Can you make sure you detect this stuff in the future? And that's important. So, so my guys go in, we, we pull it apart. And then we we help you improve that whole manner of service, you know, and that and that's that that to me adds value. But it starts off as a I'm trying to protect my job and everything else. To okay, when are you guys going to um when are you guys going to start you know start your start your, your your testing? And I'm like, we'll start on Thursday. And they go cool. And everyone's watching out for us, and they've got the screens up. Where are they? And then I call the boys up on 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 Sunday and go like, let's do it. And then they've all gone home and they're all, you know, at the beach and going surfing and whatever they do. And then we hit them. And then they go, well, what just happened? So it's uh, it was a bit of fun. And they go, okay, next time we will make sure that we don't listen to that. And, but yeah, there's some good banter and we, we enjoy it. And there's a really good sort of, really kind of good feeling that goes on between the client. And the red team's exciting because you're actually testing people as well. And you're actually making sure, you know, would someone recognize a security event? And and if so, um, let's see if they do. And it's, and, and we, we come up with some pretty good stuff. Oh, and the thing that, the employee or the um, person that's that you're working with, you know, at the company, the thing they need to realize is you want Jonathan and his guys doing what they're doing, right? Because it's going to help make you better because we've seen and heard of way too many stories of companies that were breached or hacked and then they had to shut down. There's that's a right. company. You know, there's a company here in the States that over the, you know, most recent Christmas holiday, you know, 
they were um, a ransomware victim, right? And they didn't pay the ransom or couldn't pay the ransom. And so they had to shut down. I think they were a nonprofit. And, you know, they... I mean, they could not recover. And Jonathan, you know, people had gone to work like that morning, right? I mean, so so there's so many things. Um, and then going back to what you said, as far as, you know, the board still thinking that, you know, security is a compliance issue. No, it really is a business issue because, you know, in the instance of that company that shut down, uh, that was their business, right? So, and also people panic. You know, if you look at the Colonial Pipeline, you know that 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 was the SCADA system. You know, it was it was effective, but they weren't able to work out. You know, these these pipes, you fill them up with a whole bunch of different customers' fuel, and you send it up through the pipe. But if you don't know who's got what and who to bill, uh, the immediate thing is like shut it down, and it, and it makes it really quite complicated because. Yeah, we see with some of the ports, logistics companies, as soon as there's a an attack, if they have don't have a plan in place, an instant response plan, or they don't, they haven't done a tabletop exercise, or they haven't been through some form of simulation, it's like flip the switch, get rid of it, stop it. And then they do a denial of service on themselves, and then they end up with a system that doesn't work, and, it, and then the media gets a hold of it, and it sounds a lot worse than it, than it potentially could be. And actually, all you end up with is you just needed a plan. You needed to know what to do when you're in that situation. And a lot of the time is unique. A lot of the time, uh, you just need to be able to talk to somebody and say, right, what's the impact of us doing that? And you could go, did you know you could just do this? And, and that's potentially not going to be a problem. But, but that is, and one, look, one thing we know, just if I got a chance to sort of um, blow around trumpet, you know, we know the fact that, that you, you can just go out and get pen testing. And you can just you know, put a job in, in, in a job site and say, I want a pen tester. And you can pay him okay. And then he ends up being a pen tester. But what they fail to realize is when, you, when you've got a team, it's a little bit, I'm using the analogy of American football, you've got people that play different positions. So I've got a guy that does a discovery. And I've got another guy that does a privileged escalation. I've got another guy that by- bypasses the endpoint. Um, I've got a guy that specializes in web application firewalls. I've got a mobile specialist that just gets stuck into mobile stuff. But they all kind of try and improve each other. So the privileged escalation guy is going to tell the mobile app guy how to, how to do it next time but there's not one person that just can just do it end to end and that's a tricky thing with pen testing because you need a different variation of skills or variety of skills and keeping any one of those skills up to date is quite a lot of work on its own so if you want to be good at bypassing something like for example the endpoint you've got to do that all the time and you need to be really good at that because things keep changing you've got to be able to do to get the unknown unknown and all the other stuff that the system is going to try and pick up on you need to be able to come up with that all the time and it's quite a challenge so you couldn't cover off everything all the time you play that position you play it well and you need different positions to 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 complete a a, a successful project and, and I, I know that we've you know we've been up against people that you know there's only a certain amount that they can do and once you get to something that may be it and that may be the report that you get and you may you may have missed out the opportunity that the that the adversary will have where he can get to the other side of that and he can exploit it and it is a problem and and yet the reports put down something that's hypothetical uh, i think it's really important that people show you a proof of concept did are you able to exploit that is it exploitable otherwise don't give us such a high risk and when it is exploitable then then, then that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But there may be no way of actually. It may be something that's theoretical or whatever else. And then, and then try and focus on the stuff that really needs to be fixed. Because when you get these reports, a lot of the time you sort of run off your feet. Right? What's important? What isn't? And unless you've done a proper risk assessment and actually worked out what is important to this customer. And look, there, there are debates that you know the customer should say, look, that's our decision. 
But from our point of view is we want to make sure that they get to the stuff that really needs to be fixed first. If it's a critical, it really is a critical. It's not something that's been upgraded from a high risk to a critical for, for to make it look like a good report. You wouldn't want someone spending time on something that is unnecessary, if that makes sense, at that point in time. Absolutely. No, that is that is very well stated, Jonathan. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate you um, tooting your own horn. But, you know, that's that's what this episode is about, you know, it's for our community to get to know you better and to get to know the great work that you and your team are doing there at Cyber Citadel. So Jonathan, with that, we are going to pivot into some questions that are specific to you, starting with Jonathan, what is your favorite musician or band? Look, I, I grew up um, the first time I, st- I was on the, I was listening on the radio, I, I was sitting there and I, there was a whole bunch of bands and, and, and music I like, and I suddenly just one day Carlos Santana came on, and I was just got that's got I like look I like a bit of eighties disco with a bit of bongo drums, but he's got the bongo drums, he's got the electric guitar, he's got everything I liked about all the instruments, and I just love Carlos Santana. So when I had some money, I went out and bought his records, his CDs, and and uh, I also like Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I, I was fortunate enough to see him before he he died, who got killed in a, a, in a, in a helicopter accident. Uh, I saw him in New York uh, at at a at a concert. A New Year's Eve concert. So I was very fortunate to see him. But Carlos Santana, I uh, still listen to him all the time. Got a really good, it sort of resonates with me. You know, sometimes you get a band and when they start playing stuff, it just makes you feel really good. Well, that's, that's Santana. Wow. So this is a little freaky, but you mentioned two of the guitar gods, basically. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the exact two that are the favorite of a former guest of mine, um, Todd Catlett of Rackspace. And so, okay. when, and this is, this is like a couple of years ago now. And so it's, it's funny because he too met Stevie Ray Vaughan, but he met him. So Todd, and his family, they live in South Florida. And so just before Stevie Ray Vaughan passed, um, he, I think, was performing in Miami. And so Todd and his wife were out on a date. And who do they run into but, you know, the incomparable Stevie Ray Vaughan. And so um, they got to talk and, you know, got autographs and all that. And uh, and so, yeah, it's ironic that those two musicians, like I said, those two guitar gods are your favorites as well, Jonathan. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's, yeah, I think that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've got a, I've, I just, when I hear the music, it really kind of makes me, gets me in the right mood. That's fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So following up with another favorite, what is a favorite hobby or pastime? Look, I like, I like pulling stuff apart. Uh, unscrewing it. Even when I was growing up, we had the cheap Chinese stuff or Japanese actually was reasonably cheap in those days. We had some Jap stuff that was coming through. It wasn't amazing. Um, and it used to break. And I used to think when I was really young, what's broken? And I had to unscrew it and I had a soldier iron. I used to fix stuff and, and sometimes find what was broken and make it better. Or it might have just been something, some cheap component that they use. But when you're growing up and you got to ask your parents for stuff, you know, you, you have a good go at trying to fix stuff yourself. But I got into electronics as a, as a, in an early age. And, and, and one of my First things in my first job is I actually got to work with a hardware provider that actually, you know, they were fixing computers and stuff like that. And I got kind of got to take that a bit further. But but I've always loved electronics. I, I like a lot of the smart home stuff. I mean, I've done everything you can possibly do with every alpha version of smart home. So I've got my wife looking at me like, you know, it doesn't work again. Like the garage door works 50% of the time on, on, on Apple HomeKit, but it doesn't work on yeah, but everything else works. And um, I love electronics. I love I love fixing things. I like improving things. I like uns- 
screwing things, but I just like electronics. I've done a lot with Raspberry Pis. I just love that technology. I love the fact that you've got so much stuff that you can do with, with electronics. I'm now a dad, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of nine months into it. And so all that time that I had before, uh, where I had to um, I could spend a lot of time with electronics and stuff like that, I've still got a nice kind of lab, I I guess a workbench is probably a better way of putting it. Okay. But I spend time with my daughter. So I've got to try and convince her when she's a bit older that she needs to do that as well. Or would like to do it. But it, electronics is, is um, part of it. Um, and I've always been really, really keen on uh, video video production. Um, I had one of the first, um, you know, affordable uh, Sony cameras uh, in the in the late 80s. I, I videoed my, my sister's wedding with, with it as well. And and I actually, uh, when I was growing up, my, my mum was a deputy head of a, of a primary school and she used to bring the, the school camera home. It was a big, massive thing. It was heavy. And I used to take it around and film my dad playing golf. So I kind of got all the angles and all the profiling, all that stuff, or framing or whatever, right? But I I love video and every time I went on holiday and we went and stuff so we've got a video library of you know my life all the way from the, the late 80s right up until now and I've just always had a video camera I've always loved editing videos and um, I've been fortunate enough that one of the guys on our team he also loves videos so we have like a media part of the organization and we we produced I think 28 videos last year oh, wow. uh, we've already we've already got about 12 in the queue uh, we're going to release uh, probably in the next two months we're going to release about six or seven videos and they've got people inside of our organization having conversations about things like the red teaming uh, ai machine learning you know what's the difference what stuff should you be be across what stuff's important to you so we get together as a team we've got some amazing tools and it's and video production so if you said to me what could you do if you if you had to stop everything you're doing with cyber cyber security what would you do i said i'd like to make documentaries or or, or document stuff and have a good record of stuff that we're doing because I, I love that i love I love getting behind behind the camera and start talking to stuff. And I don't think I particularly look or sound that great, but but I enjoy it. Okay. And, you know, for those that are going to be hearing the audio of this episode, um, they can't see. But right behind you, it looks like you've got um, some equipment. What's that? An old, uh, was that eight millimeter back there or? Oh, that's a reel to reel. So this was, this is, um, so, so we, we, um, when we were, when, when my mother was moving, um, she lives, she lives down on the beach now, but when, I, when she was moving to um, a new place, we, we got, a, we found a lot of, lot of reel to reel tapes. And she said, by the way, when you were kids, when you were growing up, your dad used to, um, used to, I used to speak into a microphone. And in those days, uh, you used to record it on a reel-to-reel. So I was like, oh. So then I, I, I looked up some guy on the internet, and I, and, and, and I said, look, I've got a reel-to-reel player, but it's broken. He goes, let me try and fix it. And he goes, oh, it's going to be a bit difficult. But I said, can you lend me yours for a few weeks? And he goes, yes. So I've got a uh, Zoom thing plugged into the uh, a Zoom recorder, plugged into the reel-to-reel. Um, and I found my sister on there already. I haven't found this. There's about 30 tapes. I've got to find the time. But I've got to listen to it. And, and I've got the thing at double speed like you do with podcasts. And it makes this funny kind of like chipmunk sound. But I'll, 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 I'll find my voice in there somewhere and uh, see what it sounded like when I was about seven or six. Oh, that's, that's really, really cool, Jonathan. Um... All right. So sticking with this theme of favorites, what is your favorite place to visit on vacation? Um, look, I spent a lot of time in, in Vietnam and Saigon. Uh, I definitely like Saigon for the food. The people are outstanding. And, and, and um, we eat a lot of Vietnamese food. Uh, my, my wife's Vietnamese. So I'm fortunate enough to, to have, a, a, uh, have a really good uh, culinary experience there. Um, I spent some time in, in, in South America as well. So uh, Buenos Aires can't beat the uh, steaks and the tango. Um, and then the last thing I think, you know, places like Monte Carlo for the Grand Prix, the kind of the energy that's 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 like, and, and you know, the fact that we're in New Zealand and 
and we haven't been told that we can never travel, but looking at all those places, you know, I can't wait to get back to Saigon and sitting there and tasting the street food and talking to the locals and doing stuff like that it's it's just that's a that to me is, is the experience and and the warm weather but but it's just being amongst amongst that that's that's great and look you know i i i um i think i've lost a few kilos eating asian food so that's always a good sign that helps that helps for sure jonathan tell us what teacher at any level has had the greatest impact on you well more, more off more 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 recently um someone uh who's been re- i've known for a long time but there's a a uh, guy who who um, is a founder of Wise Tech Global, uh, Richard White. He's been really supportive. I, I was contacting him in my sort of early days of um, you know thinking about starting a company, and just ran it by him. And, and he said to me, "Look, you need to do this. You need to do this." And but got behind me, and he said, "You need to start. You know, you know, writing some articles, standing up in front of some." He made a phone call to to somebody and said, "You need to start presenting to these people. Go to conferences and get your name out there, and then you know, find good talent, find good people." And he was giving me some pretty good early decisions that really did help me build up you know what I have today so he's been he's been really good uh, and he's helped me he's been been critical as well so he's been he's told me that you know, yeah you guys want to be across us and, and stuff like that but he's been really good to talk to he's always he's always been available so he's been a, he's been a good mentor he's, he's done well for himself and he's, he's got a big big organization and he's done a lot of mergers and acquisitions and he's seen a lot of stuff and it's nice to it's nice to to speak to somebody that's a bit further down the road than, than you are, but has the has the you know it, it, it just communication in a way that actually you know I, I kind of get it. And he said, you know, I think you should focus on this, and and that's not really going to make much of a difference this world. So, a couple of left turns and a right turns and a, and a few forks, you've got to make a decision. Uh, if you've got a good mentor, uh, it can it can change the way it can change the outcome for your business by by a lot. No, that that is that is a fact in my own life and in the life of you know other entrepreneurs, CEOs, whomever. They always, Jonathan, point back to a mentor, and it's and it's interesting because in a lot of cases, people think mentors are the wise man sitting on a hill, you know, so unapproachable and, you know, it takes so much to get to them. But people really are approachable and, yeah. you know, and they and they get to brag on you when you do well, Jonathan. <laughs> that, that, that's it. And also, you know, you know he, he said to me earlier, I said, look, I like to help young entrepreneurs i think if you show the fit, the willingness to put the effort in the hard the hard yards you know but he gets behind me and also but but also other people they see see that you're prepared to put in the the effort you know and, and it's not a case of you're still talking about it or, or 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 just kind of got an idea and you're still talking about it the next time they see you yeah it's a classic case of just just get into it just do it and and then start and then figure it out and and then and that's it and then don't don't be in a situation and look we've made some mistakes in the early days and and we've 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 got some really good processes in place because of those mistakes. And actually, it was a, a milestone that we needed to go through anyway. And I, I think any of my uh, any companies in my sort of business, they they've, unless you go and buy that company, and they'll tell you what the mistakes are. You've got to you've got to figure that stuff out for yourself. And we've got some good systems in place because of that. Oh, that's awesome! All right, so Jonathan, the last question here, my friend, is what advice are you going to give? 18-year-old Jonathan Sherrick if we were to jump in a time machine and go back and meet that young man? Yeah, it's funny. I, was, I, was, I, was in, I remember one guy. I got interrupted. There was a guy who was a bit of a silver-haired, silver-haired guy in the office. And he said, if I could have my time again, I would do this. And I got interrupted. And I still resent <laughs> and, and I never saw him again. And I just thought, he's going to say something that's going to be really important. And I'm not going to know what it is. 
but I've figured it out because I met somebody else like that. And I think that the if I could go back in time and I'm sitting there with myself at 18, I would insist that I would buy as much property as possible and never sell any of it, right? Everyone that's done well on property I've seen is just don't sell. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, I was looking yesterday. I mean, the property market in New Zealand is going crazy, you know, 20-something percent from last year and, and, and um, in Auckland. And if you sell, you've just got to get back on the – everything else is going up, so what's – what are you going to gain? So that's that's the first thing. I think um, touched on the fact that you know making mistakes is just part of the journey. I think that that's don't don't hold yourself, don't beat yourself up too much if you make mistakes. I think you need to make mistakes, and not everything is going to be a success. Some stuff will be, and you'll, you'll learn from that. It'll, it'll be part of your part of your character, and 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 um, and hang around with people that are smarter than you if you can, because some of that rubs off, you know. And and I know that I know that there's certain people. It's that the whole coffee coffee shop mentality where you we used to sit down before we had the internet and used to, you know, he was the guy that was known for that, the property guy or the other. And we used to kind of just get to know people that were were the people to go to to ask questions. And you've got the internet for that now, but also have someone that you can just bounce ideas off and get an idea of, you know, is this the way to do it or or not? And you know, I hire in our company. I try and hire people that are smarter than me, uh, and I think I've done a reasonably good job so far. So, so I think that's actually not a bad bad strategy as well. No, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, don't be afraid to not be the smartest person in the room. I think egos are something that you don't. You just have to put that to one side. I don't. I don't. I don't think unless you've got something to prove. You know, you're not going to have it right all the time. You need to be able to adapt and adjust and 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 be in a situation where you can. You can, you can, because you don't have all the facts all the time. You don't even know why the, it's a bit like when you see someone, you know, you, you read something in the news and then you find out something happened earlier on in that day that caused that whole thing to happen, right? And, and you don't have all those facts and you're right, you just think, oh, that, that was bad. Well, no, you didn't have the, the, the sort of the backstory. And a lot of the times people are where they are because of other things that have been out of their control or something happened and you've just got to be able to take it all in and understand it. Well said, Jonathan. Well, as with all good things, we've come to the end of our time together. But Jonathan, first, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. The guests like yourself are what make this such a fun journey. And, you know, before I let you go, please tell us how we can stay in contact with you, um, you know, social media handles, anything that you'd like to share. Yeah, so so I'm on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to hit me up, I'm, you know, Jonathan Sharrock. Um, I'm down as the CEO of Cyber Citadel, so I'm easy to, easy to find. Um, uh, Twitter with uh, I believe it was cyber.citadel. Got a where we've got a um, website uh, cybercitadel.com. And as I said on the on the call, fire us a note if you think we could be you know changing something or doing something or you know. And we're always looking for good talent. So if, if some if there's someone's out there that wants to wants to be part of part of Cyber Citadel, we're we're always on the lookout for people. Okay, great. Well, again, Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. And as always, TechMain Presents family, thank you for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.